0: Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 2. If you have no idea where Genesis chapter 2 is, that's okay. Uh, it's probably on like page 2. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one in this chair underneath, uh, or underneath the chair in front of you. Uh, and so I'd encourage you just to grab that uh, and open up to Genesis 2, and we'll dive into there in just a second. Uh, after Lauren and I had been dating for a little while, her grandma started dropping hints that maybe she would approve if I. Uh, married her or at least asked her to marry me. Uh, and the way that she would do that is she would always tell Lauren that she needed to be the first one to be called when I asked Lauren to marry me. Like when I proposed, Lauren's grandma was, had to be the first one that she called that she would tell. Uh, and, and I think at first that was just like saying, hey, AC seems like a good guy. If this happens, I'd be great. I think after a while it was more like information for me to know that like, hey, you need to ask Lauren to marry you because you're taking too long. Um, but the important thing is this, when I went to ask Lauren to marry me, uh, and I can tell you that story another time, the first person Lauren was gonna call was her grandma. Right, and so we, we've, uh, I proposed to Lauren in San Diego, so we were at the beach, um, and I asked her, and she said yes, eventually, uh, and, and she calls her grandma, and it's ringing, and it's ringing, and it's ringing, and, it's ringing, and she doesn't answer. Well, she has to be the first one that Lauren tells. And so she's, you know, this is an important thing. She's not really a morning person, it was kind of early. And so she calls her again. She's ringing, uh, the phone's ringing and it's ringing and her grandma answers and said, hey, I'll call you right back, click. She doesn't answer. She doesn't talk to her. And then she doesn't call her back for like hours. Right? And this is like Lauren's in this tension. At the same time, um, I had had lunch with Lauren's mom that same week to let her know that I was going to do this, to be praying for that, just uh, to get her blessing. And so she's sitting in class with all of her classmates telling, uh, telling them, hey, my, wife's, or my, my wife, my daughter is going to uh, get proposed to today. And then she's excited. But as the time passes, she gets a little more anxious, a little more worried. She's telling them, you know, I think she, gosh, what what, what, what happened? Why, why isn't she called? And uh, she starts telling them, and I'm, I'm sure they must have like gotten in a fight, or you know, it just wasn't the right time. Or like, like she's anxious and worried at the same time, grandma hasn't called Lauren back. Who do you share moments in life with? Right? Like our lives, they're not made up of minutes and hours, they're made up of moments and seasons. Who do you share your moments in life with? Lauren's grandma wanted to get that news, wanted to share it, and it took her hours to finally call back and get it. I remember getting woken up with a phone call about five o'clock in the morning in August of 2016, and and through a groggy and and sleepy tone, I just said, hello. Uh, And my grandpa, uh, choking back tears, all he could say is she's gone. For a few days leading up to that phone call, we'd sat around my grandma's bed uh, with hospice care coming in and, and every time she'd take a deep breath, we just waited to see if it would be the end. And that night before that phone call, in her sleep, she passed. And all my grandpa could do is call me and say, she's gone. We live our lives in moments and seasons. Who do you share those moments with? So we weren't created to be alone. We weren't created to be isolated. We were created to share those moments with people. uh, As we've been going through this series, we've been talking about what it looks like to be a disciple. We've called it the marks of discipleship. There's seven things that we want to highlight. uh, And we've done things like the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and and a biblical framework. And and last week, even talking about how that impacts our stewardship of the things that God has given us. And, And today we're talking about deep connection. And what we mean by deep connection is this, so that at PBC, if you're a part of us, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that you would, fo- you would belong to and participate in grace-filled, truth-saturated community. I'm gonna read that one more time. When we're defining deep connection as disciples of Jesus here, this is what we mean, that you would belong to and participate in grace-filled, truth-saturated community. It should be part of something. Now, the reality is, is that for some of us, that's a pretty daunting task, right? If we start to think about what it looks like to be a part of a community like this, there's, there's probably questions that raise up and bubble up inside of you. For some of us, I don't know, that sounds kind of risky, right? I mean, it sounds like, I don't know what that even really means, and, and do I really need to be around people? I feel pretty good on my own. I mean, I've made it this far. I mean, I, I, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I, I have a plan. I have a course of action. I have a path. I make my own decisions. I don't really need all these other people around me. I'm good. I'll just show up on Sunday mornings. I'll sing the songs. I'll listen to Tim tell me what to do, and then I'll go home and do whatever I want. For others, it, it, it's even riskier, right? It's scary to, to open up again. We've been hurt to be vulnerable, to, to live in community, to have relationships with people, there's, there's a real potential cost to that. And even more so, even if, if it works, if we, if we get close to somebody, then what does it cost me to, to continue that relationship? When, when do I have to give something to serve them, to encourage them, to support them? What, what is that gonna cost me to be a part of that community? It's a risk. So we feel this tension within each of us. We all feel this tension. And, and whether it's in church or, or it's a, a country club, like we feel this tension that we want to have relationship with people. We want to have friendships. We want people to know us, we want to be seen. And we also want to see people, we want to know others. And yet it's, it's risky. It's hard, it's challenging, it's daunting, and it can be painful. And yet here we are saying that deep connection is a part of discipleship. Why would we do that? Why would we wanna express that? Why would we hold that value so closely? That's because it's what scripture tells us from the beginning. Genesis two gives us this picture. And this is kind of an outline for where we're going today. Uh, three points through this passages. It says, we were created for community. We've been separated by sin, but we are connected through Christ. That's why deep connection is so important. We were created for community. Uh, Read along with me from Genesis chapter two. We're gonna start in verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We were created for community. As we look at this passage, we see this picture that God forms man out of the dust. And in this image, man begins to see all of that God has created around him right, even bringing animals to him to name. And and what that is is an expression of what God has given him in authority over these created beings. In some sense, from Genesis one, realizing his duty to have dominion over the earth. And God is with him. And that's not enough. Right, Adam gets this picture where he's, he's in the presence of God in some way, he's able to communicate with him and as God brings him these created things before him, it's still not able to find, he's still not able to find the helper, the one fit for him. He's lonely. And he realizes it. God said, this is not good. And so what Adam or what God does is he, he puts Adam to sleep to form out of him someone like him. And Adam's response is, when he first see, sees Eve, is, "This at last, if bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, this is finally someone like me." This is finally what I've been looking for. I have seen all the other things that God has created, and this, this woman, this is the one fit for me. Right, and, and recognize that helper isn't some, like, servient, like, downward uh, subservient role. Helper is a complement. Helper is someone who comes alongside and, and fills his needs, fills his voids. Like, this is a way for God to picture community that comes together and expresses love and hope in relationship. And joy and peace, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is what I've been waiting for. We were created for community because we don't just see this as an image of marriage. You might have heard this passage in weddings, and, and it certainly is that, but it doesn't stop there. Because as Adam recognizes, as he sees his loneliness, and he sees that Eve has filled that loneliness with peace and joy. We remember that God says to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1. It's the same image when he's created man and woman, that that is very good and he tells them to go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's picture is not simply that he's put Adam and Eve into this relationship and that they get to have joy. God's picture is that out of this creation, he begins to have generation after generation of people coming together, building families and out of families, communities, and out of communities, cities. And we see that all the way throughout history. Right, that to be fruitful and multiply is for people to continue to thrive together. To create new life. And so we weren't created to be alone. In fact, we have this inward longing in us that the same longing that Adam recognized that this is not good for us to be alone. And so we, do, we desire to be with people. We desire, have you guys ever been to a concert where there's Nobody. Like you show up a little early and maybe like the band is just kind of tuning things out or it's the band that nobody's ever heard of, right? They're just on their way, they, they, they came in a van instead of a bus, if you know what I mean, um, right? It's, it's kind of awkward. And it's awkward for a few different reasons. One, because maybe the lights are funky and, and, and the sound isn't great. And, but two, because you're, you're by yourself. And on the flip side, when you go to a concert filled with people, you have this experience together, right? And it's not just listening to the music. There's it, something about the crowd. It's the same thing that happens at major sporting events. When, when you're at the Super Bowl or, or you're just in a playoff game, like you get to share in that experience together and you recognize the difference when you, when you see a, a musical or a play and the, and the audience is filled from row to row. There's something about gathering together with others. It it has a different sense of emotion, a different sense of feeling. There's something in us that that desires to be with other people. We were created for it. It doesn't say that in Genesis two, it doesn't say that God made a mistake. It says that God instilled in Adam something that he would recognize is not good. And at the same time, our world is very different than that, isn't it? I mean, at the same time, when we read this passage, we begin to see that, that isolation and, and individualism and loneliness, is, as popular and, and as commonplace it is today, that's not how we were created. But that is the world that we live in. Right? The last few years, uh, researchers continue to, to talk about it, and it's the headlines everywhere that that loneliness and isolation are on the rise, that people are feeling more depressed and anxious because of those things, that people are feeling by themselves and they don't have a place in this world. And the reality is it's not because of COVID or because of some government shutdown or even because of the last few years coming out of that season. This is something that was started far, far ago. I mean, we've been talking about it in our society for decades. People have moved from having multiple generations in their homes to having a nuclear family to having many people living by themselves. In fact, the most in history in our country today live alone. It's, it's isolation. And, and, and the re- reality of that is loneliness and despair and, and suffering and pain, whether it's by choice or, or by affliction. But it's still not where it started. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is, it, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So we have this image in which Adam finally gets the person he's looking for. This picture, this sense of unity and, and, and relationship and community that God has created him to experience and encounter. And we have this picture, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, overjoyed to experience and see it. And then rebelling against God's commandment, don't eat of the tree. Their eyes are open to something new and immediately they have this overwhelming sense of shame and guilt, so much so that while they were naked and unashamed over here, now they recognize their own nakedness and they cover themselves up from one another. This picture of division, this picture that sin has come in and distorted their view of one another, of the world around them, and disoriented them from the way that God created them to be. I mean, Adam went from bone of my bones to bane of my existence. Read it again. God says, what are you doing? And Adam says, it was the woman that you gave me, God. It wasn't my fault. She deceived me. This is your fault, God. You brought her into my life. I was fine without her. I don't need her. In the same way, the woman doesn't, doesn't own the responsibility either. She, she puts it off on the serpent saying, he deceived me. And immediately we see this, this destruction from a place in which Adam and Eve are in this garden, in the presence of God, where they have a relationship with him and they have relationship with one another. This beautiful sense of community that they are beginning to start. And just a few pages, really just a few verses... It's destroyed. It's disrupted. Right? So they have this, this longing for this relationships, this community that, the, that God had, had intended for them, and yet now, even between the two of them, they can't persist. Because of this rebellion, because of this sin. It's infected them. This is what we see around us. This is the the dichotomy that we live in. We have this inward longing that we wanna be with people, that we wanna have relationships with people, that we wanna have friendships and families and and, and loved ones and romantic relationships. We want people to be in our lives and at the same time, there are so many things that divide us. There are so many things that, that draw us inward and away from other people. It's political opinions, right it, it's I think that this candidate was the one that was supposed to win, or I think that that candidate should have won or it, it, it's this way or the highway it's it's this is the best option to choose, and this is the course of action that we need for our country and it 's not just us right it, it it's nation against nation turn on the news there's wars constantly it's power-hungry leaders and and resource-wealthy nations and, and impoverished nations warring over all kinds of ideological and other things. And it's not just that either, right? It's in our own cities. We see the diversity coming together of people, right? In Phoenix, we have immigrants from a variety of nations. We have refugees coming in. We have people all the way from Chicago and the Midwest, like coming in and all of these different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures clash. And we have to live together and try to figure out how to make it work. It's probably in our own families too, right? Some of us have had parents who, who loved us and cared for us and, and did their best they could, but still made mistakes. And others of us had parents who we never saw. Some of us had parents who we wished we didn't see as much as we did because of the pain and the suffering that they caused. That's the reality of the relationships we have with people, isn't it? We want those things, we want those relationships, we want even relationships with people who have hurt us. We wanna seek forgiveness oftentimes because they're our loved ones, There are our mothers, they're our fathers, there are our aunts and our uncles, There are people in our lives that make a difference. And yet I've had like six best friends in my life because people move, because we drift apart in our interests, because we disagree about things maybe. And so, to retain relationships, it's challenging, it's painful, and it's costly. That's the tension that we live in. We need them and we want them, but they—they they hurt, and they're hard. I mean, I just—just just yesterday morning, I was uh, you know going through Instagram, and and I had another friend who, who used to be in ministry, even who is now announcing his divorce. I had multiple friends, and apparently that's my age. I don't know. Like, multiple friends in the last few months are getting divorced. The, the most intimate and close relationship they're supposed to have in their lives has been ripped apart by actions or inaction, by, by decisions, by feelings, emotions, whatever it is, that, it's done. That's not the life that we're supposed to have. That's not the life that Jesus wants for us. That's not the way that community or relationships are supposed to look. We should enjoy time with one another. We should be able to share these moments in our lives and even endure seasons together. But this is how we live in this world. Some of us are optimistic and we continue to try and strive and work and do everything we can. And we jump into another relationship or we start dating a new person or dating another new person or whatever it is, we just keep on trying and we still get the same results. And some of us throw our hands in the air and walk away from it and just try to put our heads down and live on our own. Get through it, work with the people you have to work with, be nice to the people at the drive through, go home and watch TV and pray to God that there's some kind of hope. And neither of them are really the life that God wants for us either. And we see this in Ephesians 4. If you want to flip ahead to the New Testament with me. See, in Jesus, we have an, a different way to understand because the reality is we have been created for community and we have been separated by sin, but we are bound together by Christ. We can find connection through him. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul's writing to them about leaders and and what it is to be unified in the community, in the church. And in verse 15, it says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are one body bound together by Christ at every joint. And so what we have is this picture of all of us coming together, not because of the things that we are interested in, because the reality is some of us love golf, some of us hate golf, right? Some of us like to go fishing. Some of us can't stand the way it smells at the lake. Some of us love the ocean. Some of us love the mountains. Some of us like both, and we're just fine just to do with anything. But What I'm saying is this, it's not our common interest. It's not simply that we live in this city. And certainly it's not the brunch here because donuts are great, but that's all they are. It's Jesus. Jesus brings us together. And in our community, we begin to see a different picture of what that looks like. See, the reality is, is that a lot of people might ask the question, do we really need the church? Right, And, and what I mean by church is a gathering of God's people. Right? It's not this building, it's us. It's people. Church is a gathering of people come together into a community in the name of Jesus. And do we really need that? Right? Because if we've had these two different spectrums, right, isn't it enough, right, I'm, I'm, I've been hurt enough, or I'm just tired, I don't have the energy to build more relationships, isn't it enough if I just watched online? Isn't it enough if I just listen to some sermons and I'll pray and I'll read my Bible and I'll tithe and I'll do all those things I'm supposed to do? But isn't that enough? Every once in a while, I'll show up for Easter or Christmas or other services that I feel like. Isn't it enough just to show up on Sunday mornings? Do I really need to know people? Do I really need to be with people? Do I really have to let people know me? There's this story about Martin Luther, um, who was a priest 500 years ago, if you don't know who he is. and um, There's this, this story where Martin Luther is sitting and he's stoking a fire, right? 500 years ago, not a lot to do, stoking a fire. I think it's like watching TV, I don't know. Um, but he's stoking a fire and someone comes up to him and says, um, why do we need the church? Why do we need people? Why can't we just pray and, and, and focus our relationship on God? And Martin Luther is just sitting there and he takes a, a coal, a burning hot coal, and he sits it off to the side and he keeps stoking the fire. And you can picture this coal burning hot, red, in the dark uh, of what I'm assuming is a really dark room because there's no electricity. Um, and it begins to cool and fade until it turns cold and black. the guy who asked the question realizes what he's trying to show him. So we have this picture of why do we need the church? As in, why do we need other people around us when we have Jesus? It's that picture that Martin Luther is trying to illustrate there. It's that picture that we have other people to to help us stoke that fire, to continue to press on through moments and seasons. It's that picture that we have uh, that we are a burning coal that is in need of the hearth, the gathering. On our own, we, we turn cold and black. And like I said, on the other hand, some of us aren't, aren't isolating because we, we don't want to know people. We'd love to know people, but, but is it safe? Is it safe for someone to know who I really am? Is it safe for someone to know the mistakes I've made, the choices I've had, the decisions that that have defined who I am today? Is it safe for someone to understand me for me? Is it okay for people to realize that, you know, I I know Jesus now, but I didn't know Jesus then. And I, I didn't make decisions like I knew Jesus then. In fact, I made decisions like I didn't know who Jesus was at all. And I don't know if I want people to know that. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'd heard the gospel a lot. I, I grew up in church, but I still didn't think that that was really for me. And so I don't know that I want people to know that I turned my back on that because parties in school and girlfriends and money just sounded way better than Jesus. I mean, that's not maybe where, where I live now or I'm learning from my mistakes, but I don't want people to know that that's in my past. Is it safe for people to know us Right, Adam and Eve, when they see each other for the first time, they're ecstatic. They're naked and unashamed, and yet in a few verses, they hide hide from each other. They don't want the other to see them like that, to to know them like that. Is it safe? That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus didn't come for us to be here alone or even to be focused on just worshiping him in a way that is isolating and alone. He brought us together into a community. One of our core values here, one of the ways that we define the methods of ministry is we believe in the beauty of diverse community. Now, what that does mean in one sense is this. Uh, if you go out there and hang out for a while after the service, and especially after the next service when we have kids, you're gonna see multiple families uh, talking to their kids, having a little fun. The kids are playing with each other. And part of what you'll see with that is some of those parents speak Spanish to their kids. We have multiple families who have come now from from other churches. For one reason or another, God moves people and and he's brought them here. But one of the things that they've come out of is they they are originally used to worshiping in Spanish. They have Hispanic backgrounds and and yet they come here because of Jesus, because God has called them here and they wanna be a part of this community. And as we value that diversity, you're gonna hear multiple languages from our families. In in another sense, uh, I've had multiple conversations with former Asian students or current Asian students who were born in one of the countries in Asia, grew up there, had no context for Jesus or the gospel, and yet came here to study either in high school or in college, and that God moved in their heart, brought them to faith, and now are part of our community. God is bringing people from all types of different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures. And as they believe in the gospel, as they believe that Jesus has died and rose again, he's binding us together in this community. From all different experiences in life, we become one church. He wants us to know each other. He wants us to love each other. And the miracle of the gospel is that he does that through bringing diverse people together. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter where you came from or or where you grew up. Those aren't the things that are gonna divide us. What's gonna divide us is do we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And as that unifies us, and as that holds us together, it becomes safe for us to love one another. It becomes safe for us to, to come out of isolation and, and join in community. It becomes, it becomes a place for us to express love to one another and to celebrate that Jesus, Jesus died for this. He died to relieve us of the shame and the guilt that separates us, to relieve us of, of the isolation and, and the pain and suffering of what it means to be alone. He died so that we could be in community together. And so that we could express that to one another, that we could share that with one another. and I just want to celebrate a little bit of what we're experiencing here at PBC. Because as we mature in this sense, as we grow in the understanding of deep connection and relationships with one another, God, it says in, in Ephesians 4, I just read, right? God's body grows and builds together as we mature together. And a couple of things. George just said one thing that's huge. Normally in summer, because it's Phoenix, a lot of people leave. We have college students that take off. They go home for the summer. Uh, and other people are just on vacation. Probably you guys are hoping to get out of town because it's Phoenix. It's freaking hot. Um, and so we do one service in the summer. We can't do one service this summer. right? And it's a little more empty in this service, and it'll be a little fuller in the second service. And the reality is, is, even if we had... Enough chairs in this room, which we wouldn't. But even if we did, we couldn't because of our kids. We have too many kids in those classrooms. And so we have to start doing kids at both services because we have families coming to be a part of our community. That's an exciting thing. Another thing is um, we were just talking on Friday. Tim and I and Kyle were talking on Friday. We're going to have to plan a baptism service because we had two people give us connect cards last week that said they want to get baptized in the summer, in Phoenix. I mean, maybe it's a way to cool off in the water, but like, this is exciting, people. God is doing things, and it's because we emphasize the importance of community. Right, I am, I'm in charge, I guess, or my responsibility is to help new people get plugged into community groups. And so some of you I've reached out to, and uh, some of you have reached out to me, and we're, we're in conversations about that. But one of the things that I'm, I'm dealing with is I need more community group hosts. I need people's homes to open up and welcome people in. I need more leaders that we can raise up and equip to lead those groups because we have too many people that want to be a part of community. That's what we need here because deep connections are what builds and binds us, right? Through Jesus, we have been brought together to be one body. We've been gifted to serve one another. We've been gifted to encourage one another. We've been gifted to endure life struggles together. And that is the beautiful picture of community that the church offers that you can't have anywhere else. It is sacrificial love that goes beyond having common interests. It goes beyond having just, I kind of like that guy, he's funny. It goes beyond those types of things and, and brings us together that we are willing to serve and to suffer and to love together because of Jesus. It's a place where we can be known and be safe. It's a place where we can know others and show them that they are safe. Let's close in prayer and then we'll go into communion. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for this day. God, you have given us a gift through the sacrifice of Jesus, your son on the cross. Lord, we we are so grateful for the opportunity that his shed blood gives us a way to find unity with one another. Lord, you've called us to be a people uh, to bear witness to your love and to your mercy. And in the way that we do that is by coming together in unity from a, a variety of backgrounds and experiences and cultures and ethnicities and all kinds of things that around us the world uses to divide, you have bind us together. God, we praise you for the opportunity to do that. And God, as we, as we think about the love that you've expressed through the sacrifice of Jesus, God, we are reminded by, uh, by that, that it is something that we wanna constantly remember because it's Jesus that binds us together. It is our foundation. He is the one that, uh, that stirs in our hearts renewal, that gives us new hope, that, that allows us to tear down our own walls and barriers that we put up to, to keep other people out, God, and to open up our minds and our hearts to, to loving others and letting others love us, to letting others know us. God, we pray that you would encourage us this day. God, we ask that you would stir in us a new hope, and a new life for relationships with others, Father. In Jesus' name.